This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Scholes, who is a great follow at AJ Scholes24, back in his co-host chair in Madison, Wisconsin. How are things today, AJ, and you're in neck of the woods? Doing good, you know. Uh, the my, my wife started to uh, work a few hours a day from home here, so we're balancing that, but... Uh, you know, gram- grandma is here to help out with the kids, so everything's going smoothly and uh, no complaints here. That must be a happy time. Enjoy the heck out of it, my friend. Uh, listen, today we're going to continue with our look at the series of articles that you have done. I think you've done a fantastic job in laying out the salary cap situation with each of the teams that you've covered so far. And Kyle Riley, our hockey editor, has chimed in with his thoughts as well. And you guys really give uh, people a lot of food for thought in terms of the decisions, the tough decisions that each team is going to be facing, particularly in the face of what looks more and more like it's going to be a flat cap, uh, no change from last year of $81.5 million, AJ. And that really is a thing that has hamstrung all the teams in the league that we've covered so far. There hasn't been one that won't be affected adversely by the fact that the salary cap won't go up three, four, five million bucks like it was projected. So uh, interesting choices, some tough choices that teams are going to have to make and you've done a nice job laying it all out and i can't wait to dig into that and then we're going to continue our series of recent drafts we go back to the 2009 draft where john Tavares was the number one overall pick and you and i will go through 10 rounds of that to see how how if any changes we would make to the order but uh, i think at the top it's going to remain pretty consistent because i'll tip my hand i'm going to pick jt with the first overall pick today <laughs> aj uh i'm shocked, I'm shocked paul that you would <laughs> that you would uh take john Tavares first overall <laughs> oh captain hey. my captain <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah it's been you know it's been really interesting with these articles and, and diving into it and and like you said you know usually the cap goes up you know anywhere between one to two million which in a lot of ways can be a full player really um so you can kind of factor that in you you pay somebody who's an up-and-comer that you know was on an entry-level deal that now needs to eat up that that two million dollars or you bring in somebody else so 
Uh, it really is interesting. There's going to be some tough choices made. And I think one of the most interesting suggestions we haven't really even gotten into, we, we've touched on it, and until we know more, there's no reason to, but the, the idea out there that each team would be able to buy out a contract uh, without the cap implications of that would be a really interesting kind of um, idea and plan. Obviously, the, they would still have to physically pay the player in terms of, of money, but uh, from a cap standpoint, that's kind of an interesting idea that's out there. Um, but before we get into all these, I'll just remind listeners that throughout the week, uh, if you have questions about uh, hockey lineups, fantasy hockey, dynasty formats, uh, the playoff format, any sort of questions that you might have hockey related. Um, we would love to engage and interact with you on Twitter. As Paul said, you can follow me at AJ Scholes 24 and you can follow Paul, the Statsman at Statsman 22. All right, partner. And we've st- stayed away from talking about the proposed playoff structure once hockey does resume. It's looking more and more like it will in two hub cities. They have yet to be determined. And there's an issue with three of the teams, the host cities possibly be under consideration are north of the border in Canada and uh, the other six or seven are in the USA. I wonder how that's going to shake out because of the uh, two-week mandatory two-week uh, isolation period that is still in being enforced uh, in Canada for people that cross the border. I'm not sure what the implication is going the other way to, from Canada to the States. So they have to get solve that issue first, I think, if the Canadian hub is to be considered, and Toronto is one of those cities, incidentally, and so is Pittsburgh, south of the border. So uh, that's one issue that we can talk about. The other one is the playoff matchups, AJ, and uh, interesting that the NHL has chosen this format of 24 teams. There were teams that were at the bottom end of the 24, like Chicago and Montreal, who were like very likely not going to make the playoffs, but they've given a bit been given a bit of a reprieve to round out this format and I I tell you what I kind of like it with the round robin engaging the top four teams and really the results of those games will matter in terms of the seeding and then it's uh, seeding the rest of the teams in each conference five through twelve and uh, some interesting matchups there as well AJ yeah I think it it's a the thing I like about the idea is that it kind of um, helped alleviate most of the concerns about you know, teams uh, that were at the bottom of the standings that were like, well, if we had been able to play those 10 games, we might have gotten into a playoff position, which isn't to say necessarily that the 13th team in each uh, each side was completely out of the realm of possibility, but it's pretty close, um, to be perfectly honest. So uh, I think it kind of alleviates that concern. Obviously, if you're one of those, you know, five through 12 teams, you have to win a whole extra series um, you know, one more than you normally would to, to win the Stanley Cup. But I really don't see a better way to do it with 12 teams. Uh, the round robin, I think, is a good idea in terms of, you know, you don't want those teams waiting an extra week or whatever it would be to start playing when the other ones are. So the round robin's a nice way to get them some games, reward them for being, you know, at the top, um, you know, during the regular season. So uh, I, I definitely like the format. I, I think they've managed to do it well here. Um, I do agree with the idea of only five games for the, you know, quote-unquote play-in round. Um, we don't need a full seven-game series, I think, in, in those. So those are some of my initial thoughts on it. Uh, really, ultimately, uh, as I think we've said repeatedly on this show, I just want to play some hockey, or in this case, in my case, watch some hockey, right? 
And so, uh, you know, whatever format they want to go with is fine by me. Let's just let's get the product on the ice, right? Yeah, I, I'm totally with you, and I'm I'm dreaming of the possibility of seeing hockey every day in the schedule here. It looks like we'll see three, four games during the day each day. It'd be like quadruple headers because they they only use one one site on each side. So, uh, lots of hockey, and there's going to be a lot of hockey widows out there, AJ. As far as I can imagine, uh, I, I'm going to be tuning into a lot of hockey because I really missed it so much and before we go we're going to go through each of these matchups as we get closer to the actual start of the games but i want you to give a quick thumbnail are you concerned at all about your your team's first round matchup to pittsburgh and montreal the specter of carrie price looms in the opposite net there penguins in three oh well not much of a concern there from you no. but uh i i raise a bit of a bit, a bit of a concern just because you're talking about one of the few goalies who can really influence a series more than most uh if if carries on top of his game it won't happen in three i don't think but uh, i do think obviously pittsburgh is a much stronger much deeper team and should prevail but boy oh boy a hot goalie can make all the difference in the world and then on the flip side i look at the team that uh, the leafs face in the first round the columbus blue jackets i remember last year when they played a team that was a lot like the maple leafs maybe even a better team than the maple leafs obviously a skilled team primarily and that was the tampa lightning and boy they dispatched them very quickly so i'm a little bit nervous about that first round matchup but like you can't wait for the real shooting to start and i hope that they do it and obviously we hope both hope that they do it in a very safe manner and that uh, the impact of covid19 certainly is not felt uh, going forward in the nhl or in and around us uh, aj uh, i hope the worst is behind us all so uh, listeners can look forward to uh, our breakdown of these matchups uh, through each of the two conferences uh, and throughout the playoffs as long as they go and uh, we'll start that in the coming weeks but for today i thought it was important just to touch on the format and uh, see how we each felt about it and i agree with you i think the nhl did a smart thing to include even some teams beyond the periphery of the playoff race just to make sure that they gave everybody who had a reasonable shot entry into the postseason tourney and and for me, there will be no asterisks, incidentally, because you mentioned, and you said it very well, there's an extra round of playoff participation involved here. It's unprecedented, and teams will have to win not only 16 games, but 19 games, potentially, if they come from the, from the 5 through 12 clubs, to win that Stanley Cup. And so that's, that's going through uh, a lot to get to the, to the promised land, and, and it's unprecedented territory, and... Uh, there should definitely be no asterisk in my opinion partner yeah i totally agree there uh asterisk free that's that's for sure but hey let's dive into these uh these articles here we'll start off with the edmonton oilers uh you look at their cap situation for the upcoming 2021 season they've got 11 forwards five defensemen and one goaltender under contract for next season coming in at just a little over six and a, uh, 66 and a half million. They've got about 750,000 in retained salary for Milan Lucic still. Uh, and then they've got almost three point, a little over 3.8 million in buyouts for Bennett Pouillard and Andre Sequeira. So uh, a lot of extra money getting eaten up there over four, you know, over about four and a half million dollars uh, getting eaten up in those various situations there. So assuming a flat cap here, you've got about 10 million dollars to spend on six spots to fill out your 23-man roster and look 
the biggest uh, the biggest concern and issue comes right off the bat here in terms of restricted free agents, uh, and that's Andreas Athanasiu. Uh, he no doubt will be seeking a a big uh, pay raise here, and it's going to be a battle for their general man- manager Ken Holland. But let's not forget, he's been through this before. Both these guys were together in Detroit. The contract for Athanasiu that's expiring right now was actually negotiated by Ken Holland. So that could benefit them both um, in that negotiation. I don't know if you know promises were made in terms of, hey, this will be your bridge deal. We'll get you paid down the road. Athanasiu leaves, and then Ken Holland ends up there anyway. So now you have to wonder uh, what that situation is going to be like. But you know, he's obviously uh, going to look at the 2018-19 season, hit 30 goals, 54 points. Uh, and on the reverse, Edmonton is going to look at, la- you know, this past year where he got just 26 in, in 55 outings. So I would hazard a guess to say that you're looking at another two to three year bridge. I just think this season's too much of a concern uh, for him to maybe snag uh, one of those, you know, six, seven uh, year deals. I, I think in the end, maybe somewhere around two years, eight and a half million uh, would be, you know, the most uh, kind of the most agreeable for both sides. He gets paid up, uh, you know, up a little bit there and they don't have to commit long term. So that's kind of what I would expect to maybe come out of this. Um, the other restricted free agents, I kind of jumped ahead here, but often to see is going to be their big question here are Matt Benning, Ethan Bear. And then Ryan Mantha, who uh, has been dealing with some some injury woes. I'm guessing Mantha probably is going to be headed towards retirement here. He took a puck to the eye uh, over a year ago, I believe, and and really has had continuing vision problems and hasn't been able to to work that out. He spent the the entire year on season-opening injured reserve, which isn't something we talk about very often. But um, so I'm guessing they're they're heading towards retirement there. I, I would expect Bear, in his case, gets a little bit of an uptick more than the qualifying offer that they would, uh, you know, generally hand him. Um, I would expect they'd be willing to give him a one-way deal as well, uh, because they're going to need him on this blue line moving forward. So I pegged him at about a two-year, you know, uh, nine hundred thousand annual contract for him. I, I don't know that they need to go over a million dollars to to get that deal done. And then finally, you know, Matt Benning. Another guy kind of injury, you know, injury prone uh, the last couple, you know, this season didn't really get uh, a lot offensively in terms of his production. And I look at Jamie Alexiak as kind of his similar style of play. Uh, Back in July of 18, Alexiak signed a two year, four point two million dollar contract. And I think that would be reasonably fair to Matt Benning and and, uh, the Oilers there because it's a pay bump without um, breaking the bank. So again, the biggest thing is Athanasiu. Paul, do you see him sign it? Do they sign him longer term, four, five, six years, or do you kind of agree maybe a two, three year deal makes more sense? I, I do agree that the shorter term makes more sense, AJ. They've got already four guys among the forwards that are going to be paid well over the five million per year mark, and they don't want to add to that mix if they can avoid it, given the flat salary cap projection that we've spoken about. Uh, their defense has eaten up uh, a good chunk of money too, so uh, they they want to keep him in an, in a more affordable range if at all possible. And to your point, really, he hasn't 
scored to a level where he should be in that higher end in d- district yet. But I can see this guy being a top six player and being given every opportunity to to flash his skill set and really mesh with one of the two dynamic centers that they have on this team. And 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 we could see breakout from, a breakout in terms of numbers from him that that we haven't seen yet in his career. So the idea, from my perspective, is to get him to agree to a short term deal in the neighborhood of four million a year if they can they can do that and uh, and then uh, that will really dictate how they spread the rest of the money around their roster the the uh, the defenseman that you're speaking of w- should come in well below that threshold uh, we're looking at ethan bear uh, a 22 year old who looks like he's going to be a part of this club for a, a long while and uh coming off the entry level deal he'll be due a substantial raise over the 720 i think probably you could expect to see him double that, maybe a little bit more. And Matt Benning maybe gets a marginal increase over the $1.9 million. So quickly, out of the 10 or $11 million that you highlighted, these RFAs are going to eat up. I can see the three of them eating up more than half of it, AJ, is my projection. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to go quickly there. You're, you're absolutely right there. So now we get into the unrestricted free agent guys. And look, I'll take two guys off the board right away. Brandon Manning and Marcus Granlin, both of them had their salaries buried in the minors uh, at the end of the year here. Granlin's already signed to go play in the KHL next year, um, and so I don't see any reason to bring Manning back, you know, because, like I said, they buried him in the minors, so they didn't even want to pay him to, to play in the NHL this, this past season. Yeah. Uh, the rest of the group breaks out like this. You've got Riley Sheehan, uh, Tyler Ennis, Patrick Russell, Mike Green, and Mike Smith. Uh, I think starting uh, with the the you know with Russell here, you've got a guy who I think is a two way uh, you know grinder for you if he's willing to sign one year two way contract. Uh, maybe you give him a slight pay bump to eight hundred thousand. Then you keep him around mostly as like a veteran leader on on the minor league team. Um, and the occasional call up if you need him. But for me, if he's insisting on a one year deal or one way deal, rather, um, I think you just let him walk. I don't, I don't know that you need to retain him. And in the case of Mike Green, uh, you know, we've ta- we talked about Ethan Bear. They've got Caleb Jones ready to make the jump to the NHL as well. And I just don't see the need to pay a guy like Mike Green um, in the in the back half of his career here. And I, I think. You know, there another name I would even throw out on the blue line is Evan Bouchard. Um, so they have plenty of guys coming up through the ranks, and I just don't see a reason to keep Mike Green uh, on this team. Smith, I think, uh, is is another question here. Um, you know, would he be willing to accept like a one year two point you know two to two point two five million dollar deal? I think it's logical to keep him around and let him kind of, you know, groom Miko Kostinen. But the problem is I really think the team would need to get creative in terms of how um, they would make that fit. You know, you talked about the the money gets eaten up really quick uh, at the top with those unrestricted free agents. And I don't know that there's really enough money to keep Smith around. You know, I, I use a, um, Armchair GM is a tool on our, our friends at Cap Friendly that I use to kind of build out the team. And I was like, oh, two, $2.25 that'll be easy for Smith. I'll plug that in. And it just doesn't fit if I'm being completely honest with everything else that I think the team needs to do. And so instead, uh, I think they have to settle for bringing up 
Uh, Shane Starrett, uh, a young guy, they'll need to sign him to to a deal, but it won't break the bank um, as well. And I look at it this way. You can either keep Smith or Ennis. Uh, You know, I I think there's only one way to make it work. Um, And and I think that would also mean that they have to let uh, Riley Sheehan go. And I think Sheehan offers so much in terms of a penalty kill mainstay guy and he's not going to be that expensive. Uh, I I personally, he's 28 years old. I'd be willing to offer him a little bit of term, about a three-year, $3.3 million uh, deal. So you're looking at $1.1 a year. That's solid for a bottom six uh, center that can anchor your power or your penalty kill, rather. Um, and so I really think that, for me, is the priority over the other guys here. Um, it's a tough, tough decision that they're in, but I just don't see how you could fit all three, even though you'd love to, right? You'd love to have Sheehan, Ennis, and Smith back, I, th- I think, from my perspective, but I don't see the money working here. And so for me, I take Sheehan and his penalty killing above all the rest. Paul, what say you about this unrestricted free agent group? Well, the question for me is in the nets, and Mike Smith really has to take a hard look at his situation, AJ, and he's 38 going into his age 39 season, coming off a year where he appeared in 39 games. So really, there's been no fall off in terms of where he's at as a goalie. He average, his goal is against average was a shade under three per game. A very viable number two behind Koskinen. Koskinen's 31. He's no spring chicken either in terms of goalies, AJ. So it's one of the older tandems in the league. But you you said it right. Koskinen is the guy the uh, the guy who's going to run with it. But but Smith is, in my estimation, leaps and bounds ahead of the prospects that they have in their system. So I think the team and he have to figure it out and say, we got to work with within our our structure and if you want to extend your career here it's going to be a very good team AJ and if this guy sees the forest for the trees he'll realize that and he may even take a bit of a uh, a decrease in his pay to to stick around for that one more season I'd like to see that from from the Smith camp to make it work because as you say the priorities for me among the UFAs are the at the they look to me at the forward ranks with Sheehan being a very useful guy who will play that third line center role very effective checking line center role and uh, an aid on the special teams and the shorthanded situation as well and I I I don't think they want to turn away from Tyler Ennis either Uh, I saw enough of him in Toronto and in Buffalo in previous stops where I got to see a lot of his hockey this guy's a very useful offensively skilled player AJ and uh, very good injury insurance should a top six winger get hurt you can plug this guy in to that role and you won't miss a beat so uh, they got to find a way in my estimation to make both of these guys a part of the mix and they'll both command something in the neighborhood of a million dollars plus or minus to continue to stay on in this uh, on this team and they'll see that they they should see that this is a team that's an up-and-coming group and if they want to be a part of a winning situation they'll eat uh, they'll uh, they'll take a bite out of their own pride and and do the club a, a favor in terms of fitting it all into the under the cap the guy that i don't think they'll be able to accommodate is mike green you spoke to the fact that they have a lot of uh, other options among the blue liners that are that are locked up and or up and coming and uh, you've highlighted a couple in the minor leagues that i'm sure we're going to talk about shortly as well that would fit in you already already mentioned evan bouchard looks to be a, a, 
a part of this going forward. And uh, so, so I really think the case is very difficult to be made for Mike Green to be a part of this, but I'd like to see them uh, work with the other three guys to, to wedge them in under that cap that you suggested would be a very tight fit. I agree that it will be. Well, yeah, looking at the minor leaguers who appeared in uh, at least one NHL game this last year, there's just two of them, and that's Thomas Yurko and William Ligason. Look, Yurko barely played any games this year between the AHL and the NHL, a combined 20 games. Um, You know, his minor league numbers were seven points and eight appearances. There's simply not enough to warrant keeping him around beyond a one-way, you know, one-year, two-way deal with a a minimal cap hit, like, very very minor that you can stash in in the minors and Legison is intriguing in terms of often you know long-term upside comparatively on the, on that blue line but you're not going to give him more than his qualifying offer which will be a one-year two-way deal worth about seven hundred thirty-five thousand. so look uh we can talk more about the minor league guys if you want paul but i think it's pretty straightforward uh most of these guys are going to be slapped with you know qualifying offers for the rfas None of these UFAs really stand out in terms of needing to keep them around. I think they're guys that you keep around for your minor league system on on two-way deals. Um, So I'll jump in just to final thoughts here, and and you can circle back if you want. But I said we had to get creative if we wanted to keep either Smith or Ennis around. And you look at this team, Patrick Russell is coming in at best as their sixth blue liner. Uh, or Chris Russell, rather. Uh, too many Russells on this team. Um, Chris Russell is, at best, I think, coming in at their sixth blue liner and perhaps even seventh, uh, you know, with guys like Bear and Jones uh, on the team. A buyout for him, you know, he's eating up $4 million. You really want your third highest paid blue liner sitting on, you know, sitting in the bench or the press box, rather, on a night-to-night basis? I, I just don't think so. So a buyout for him nets the team about a million dollars in cap space, and that's more flexibility to offer Ennis a deal that helps you with maybe if Mike Smith is like, well, I'll take a pay cut, but you know it's not going to be, I'm not going to play for one million dollars, right? right? I'll, you know, do one and a half. Um, so I really think that's that's a good plan there. As we mentioned, Evan Bouchard, I think, is the guy that would come up and fill that seventh, you know, defenseman role for for doing that. So really, I. I highly think they should be looking at buying out Chris Russell here in terms of savings uh, to help with this. Look, at the end of the day, these guys are worth every penny. Don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking it, but you're shelling out $21 million a year for Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl through 2024-25. They're just going to always have to be as creative as possible building out this roster. It's not a bad thing that they're doing that. I want to stress that those guys are worth every single penny, um, but it just, you know, it makes the cap crunch uh, an annual thing, and especially when it doesn't go up from year to year. It's 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 tough, but it's something that you had to do, should have done. Uh, you know, it's the right call, but uh, it just makes it tough. So, Paul, any final thoughts here for Edmonton? Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing Evan Bouchard making the grade as a full-time player. I think that's the third young defenseman in the mix here and really affords them some flexibility coming in as an entry-level guy too, uh, critical to the to situation, wedging everybody into the cap. So uh, I like your notion of, of uh, looking at the buyout circumstance with Chris Russell and, and seeing Bouchard really effectively take a, that spot in the lineup to give them that flexibility. 
flexibility and uh, looking forward to seeing how this young group on the back end complements the the forwards that you say are so skilled i i am really surprised at the trajectory that thomas jerko's career has taken i thought this guy was going to be a decent player in the at the nhl level but really hasn't found his niche in a couple of stops around the league despite the fact that he's shown flashes of having an offensive game that is an nhl caliber game but you you said it right he's not he's not taken advantage of the opportunities to the extent that i think he should have and he'll be a casualty of of this uh, cap crunch here in in edmonton hopefully he might find work around the league somewhere else but looking still at, at a salary hovering around a million dollars maybe uh, somewhere else so uh, the joseph gambardella another guy who has some pedigree 26 years old uh, still only in the seven hundred thousand dollars range might be a guy that they stick they they take over Yurko. Uh, they're only a year apart in terms of age, but Gambardella certainly hasn't had the chance to show his wares like Yurko has. Maybe they want to give him a chance. That's the only viable option, I think, among the existing talent that they have to uh, switch things up on the offensive side of the puck either. So to me, though, the question mark is in the nets. What do they do with Mike Smith? I think that he has to really take a hard look at it. And I'm optimistic that he will to to give them a bit of a break because beyond that, it's a tryout situation in the nets. Yeah, absolutely. That That is going to be the one to watch, I think, for, for Edmonton fans. More, uh, you know, Athanasiu obviously will be number one, but after that, uh, how you know what happens with Mike Smith you know maybe maybe he doesn't want to play anymore I mean that's certainly a possibility yeah. I've no I'm not coming at that with any inside information or anything like that no breaking news here um, but you know he's 38 years old maybe he's he's ready to be done um, so that's certainly a, a factor as well we'll talk next we finally got here Paul we finally <laughs> got to the Metropolitan Division finally Carolina didn't come in last uh, in in a vote here so we'll talk about them today uh, the hurricanes have 10 forwards five defensemen and two goaltenders under contract next season for a price tag of just over 70 million dollars they are also on the hook for 2.3 million uh, from alexander simmons 2015 buyout i love how these wow. contracts continue to drag out <laughs> for some of these teams so again uh, flat cap situation club will have just over $9 million in space and six spots to fill uh, in terms of the 23-man roster. At the top, your restricted free agents. Uh, just two guys here for them. You've got Warren Fogle and Hayden Fleury. I'll start up front uh, with Fogle. You know, solid, uh, solid season. Personal best in goals, assists, ice time per game. And he's on uh, definitely an, an upward trajectory, but he's still just in his second NHL season. And so what I think is going to happen here, we can expect two to three year deal retains his RFA rights at the end. And uh, honestly, the, the one contract that came to mind uh, was Adrian Kempe uh, signed back in 2019, a three year, $6 million deal. I, I think that's fair to both sides. You know, Fogel will point out, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be top six. Like I'm pushing for top six at least and trying to make the, the grade here. Uh, you know, I think uh, what you're looking at for, for Fleury here is he offers very similar uh, offensive production to Trevor Rams, Van Riemsdyk from the team. Uh, and so an identical contract to what they gave Van Riemsdyk previously would be two-year, 
4.6 million dollars and it would allow him to be a ufa at the end of that deal um so just two guys really to talk about in terms of restricted free agents and i don't think either one should be looking to completely break the bank here probably around that two million dollar a year mark is is what i peg for these guys paul what do you see from these two well what i see is something very similar to what you do for vogel for sure i think you're right on him i think you might be a little too generous with hayden flurry he projects to be a third pairing guy here i think so you don't want to overpay for something like that so i'd like to see them keep him under the the two million dollar threshold for a while longer uh, if they can because they've got five other guys that are up, upwards of two and as high as 5.3 among the regular skaters and don't forget that dougie hamilton finished the season on ltir another guy that's upward of five million bucks so really they got three defensemen over to five million mark already and uh, that's eating up a fair chunk of the change and telling you exactly where he hayden flurry fits in uh he he is number six or seven on the, the pecking order on this blue line and should be paid accordingly so you may be a little bit generous with hayden flurry i think you're right on with warren fogel uh, just scratching the surface in terms of what he can be as a player a uh, big guy with some offensive skill had a very nice season last season and uh, should be due that to reach that two million dollar a season threshold for a couple of years uh, coming forward yeah, Paul, you're absolutely right. And and we didn't even mention Brett Pesci as well makes right. over $4 million. Right. So you've got five guys in total uh, making over $4 million here. Slavin, Shkay, Gardner, your favorite, your buddy, uh, Dougie Hamilton and, and Brett Pesci. So, And that's going to come into a factor here with these unrestricted free agents. Um, we'll, we'll, since we're talking about it, we'll stick with the blue line here at first. You've got Joel Edmondson. Trevor Van Riemsdyk, who I just mentioned, and Sammy Vatanen, uh, all uh, needing contracts. And look, they've got a guy in Jake Bean from the minors. He led all players in scoring. Let that sink in. This is a blue liner that led the AHL team in scoring. He put up more points than any of their forwards. He won AHL Defenseman of the Year. Um, this guy is going to get a roster spot next year, and, it, and he should because he's going to be cheap for them when you have five guys making huge dollars here um so i do think they're they're gonna basically let all three of these guys walk um if the cap had gone up you make a run at one of them in in my opinion and and try and keep one of them around but it's just not going to work here in in terms of of the the amount of money and needing a honestly just needing a roster spot for jake bean you have to have that guy on your team based on what he did this year in the AHL. In terms of forwards, there's just one guy to look at here for them, uh, and that's Justin Williams. And this is really a a hard one to figure out. You know, he came back for like the last month of the regular season um, on on a minimal contract. And if he's willing to do that, then then sure um i'm I'm certainly willing to to have him on my team for his veteran leadership he's still uh, a a good player but i'm not sure he wants to put in a full nhl season um he obviously didn't this this last year and so uh it's a big question mark as in terms of just what he even wants so trying to figure that out but if he's willing to come back for minimal money i think you do it right there's no reason not to in my opinion. So, Paul, do you see them fitting any of these defensemen in the mix? And what do you think about Justin Williams? 
Uh, Justin Williams has been so much to this team in terms of the dressing room and, and leadership core. and it's. But he is heading into his age 39 season, AJ, and it could be a situation like you described with, with Mike Smith. Does this guy want to extend his career and continue? Mr. Game 7 has found a home and made a reputation for himself that would have certain teams interested if he doesn't make the grade in Carolina. But I just think there's too many pieces here already in place uh, and, and locked up for this season that there isn't a very viable opportunity for him if there's any further decline in his skill set. I mean, Father Time catches up to all of us, AJ. And, and uh, the fact that uh, Justin Williams played for $700,000 in a shortened season role, uh, he arrived late on the scene, tells you all you need to know about where he's at in his career and uh, and that sort of thing on the blue line i think you can make a case for joel edmondson to be retained aj he's coming off a season where he had seven goals 13 assists 20 points and uh did that for 3.1 million dollars i don't i don't know if they want to give him any more than that maybe he signs a a lateral deal uh, just to continue around that that uh, pay grade maybe a nominal bump to 3.2 uh, 3.3 at the most but uh, that I take him over Trevor Reem, Van Riemsdyk he had injury issues in the last couple of seasons and and uh, in terms of the contribution to the club he ranks below the other six guys that we've mentioned so he might be the expendable piece here I think Flurry uh, does come off that RFA status and and gets it up to about a million bucks but uh, i think it's hard to make the case for uh, and uh, for uh, Edmund, uh, for uh, van reems like and that's my conclusion on the back end uh, at the very least all right well we'll talk about a couple minor leaguers here uh, who played an nhl game this season but uh it should be pretty quick and painless here you've got brian gibbons clark bishop and anton forsberg gibbons has already signed a deal with Lusana uh, AC, so he'll be over in Europe playing in Switzerland next year. Uh, Forsberg uh, is probably right now the fourth best netminder in terms of the depth here. Um, I would put him, you know, but obviously behind the starters, behind Alex Nedeljkovic, um, and then then Forsberg. So I really don't see a reason to bring him back from his UFA deals. They've got a couple of guys whose rights. Um, they need to, to sign to deals, and that's Jack LaFontaine, Etu Makiniemi. Um, probably butchered that one. I, I apologize to, to him if he happens to be listening. <laughs> um, so I would rather focus on entry-level contracts for those guys to build out my kind of minor league uh, goalie depth rather than retaining Anton Forsberg. Um, and then you get, to, you get to Clark Bishop, you know, he just didn't do enough in the minors this year, 19 points in 53 games to warrant anything beyond uh, a qualifying offer, which would be one year, uh, two way, 735,000. So I, I, I think that's pretty straightforward in terms of them, of the, the minor league guys and decisions that they have to make. Any other RFAs here, I think we'll get, uh, you know, qualifying offers and, and still be with the club next year. Um, you know, not a lot of bargaining room for those guys coming off entry level deals. So 
Paul, what do you think, uh, you know, specifically about Forsberg and the, the net mining depth here? Yeah, I I know that they have two guys in the nets at the major at the NHL level that are uh, 29 and 33 heading into those age years uh, respectively, and they're locked up for next season at uh, between 3.1 and 3.4 million dollars. So next year is looked after, but beyond that, they're looking at Nedeljkovic to be, to be the goalie of the future here. AJ, they've made no bones about that. So I think he uh, obviously is also signed for another year and uh, may get a may get a look see this season. Uh, before he comes into uh, his next contract negotiation and would be due uh, a nice bump if he does perform a little bit. But uh, keeping him in the minors another year won't hurt his development and uh, does make the case for uh, Anton Forsberg a little more complicated because he is no no better than the fourth best option here and might be battling even for that, be uh, holding off the likes of Helvig and Callum Booth in the depth chart there. Uh, in terms of the rest of the roster... Um, I I don't know that they have many other really co- concerns here in terms of fitting people in as RFAs this season, AJ. So uh, I don't know where you want to take this next. <laughs> well, we'll just do a, a final roundup here. And, and one kind of idea that, that could work if, if they really wanted to make it, if they felt they needed the cap space to try and either be a player on the, on the market or, um, you know, and I don't think they need to be. I, I think this team is, is loaded for bear next season. They'll, they'll do a couple, couple things here and, and they'll be good to go. But um, they could maybe consider trading either Reimer or Morazic, um, you know, figure out which, um, you know, which guy you could get more value out of in the, in the market and let Neto Djokovic come up and be the number two, start grooming him to take over as the heir apparent here in Carolina. So that that's an idea if they wanted to get some cap space. I really don't think they need to. Um, so, Paul, if you have any final thoughts on this team, otherwise we can jump in uh, to, to the next club here. Let's go on. All right. So, yeah, we'll dive in uh, last this week to the Florida Panthers here. Uh, and this is, you know, a, a team that uh, I think is is on the other side. You know, we so many times we've been in a situation where we're talking about cap crunch uh, with these teams, which is totally understandable given where they're at. But this is a team that's got, uh, you know, some some room. Uh, but they're they're also very intriguing here right off the top. So the Panthers have six forwards, five defensemen and two goaltenders under contract. For fifty-six million dollars, fifty-six and a half million next year, they've got a couple of unique. They've like run the gamut of all the unique situations you can have here, right? So, they've got retained salary for Jason Demers. They have the buyout of Scott Darling, and a recapture penalty after Roberto Luongo retired. So you add all those things up, you come out about four million or four million dollars in in burned cap space from all these unique kind of interesting scenarios here um so that does ultimately still leave them with just under 21 million in cap space now they do have 10 spots to fill under that 23-man roster um and they have a handful of decisions that they need to make right off the hop in terms of restricted free agents uh your forward group looks like a dominic tonato alex uh, uh, alexi sarella lucas walmark and Dryden Hunt, and then from the blue line, you've got Mackenzie Weger and Josh Brown here. Of the of the four forwards, uh, there's only one of these guys that I would really consider going above a qualifying offer for, uh, and that's uh, Sorella. 
or I'm sorry, it's not Sorella, it's Walmart. Um, you know, Sorella had basically, as to use your parlance, Paul, uh, has had a cup of coffee in the NHL. Hunt spent most of the years in the minors, and Tonato has very limited offensive upside, in my opinion. Um, so Walmart here is, is the one guy to, to really consider. He's reached uh, the 25-point mark in, in three straight years. Yes, a lot of that wasn't with uh, this team, it wasn't with Florida, so that makes it a little bit uh, difficult, I think. They haven't had a lot of time to look at him. Um, but I think some added term in the area of a three-year deal at $2.7 million, uh, it would mark a significant raise uh, for uh, Walmart without um, you know, losing his RFA rights at the end. Uh, on the back end, you know, they've got a guy in Chase Prisky who, who led AHL Springfield among defensemen with 35 points, which to me means they probably don't need to keep both Uyghur and Brown. Um, Uyghur offers the higher offensive upside, and so I think it would make sense to get him signed. Uh, and I'd even be willing to commit to Uyghur in, in a somewhat longer term of a lot of the contracts we've talked about. I pegged him about a four-year, $6.7 million deal. So, Paul, I'll ask you this. Um, do you agree with Walmart being really the only one of these guys uh, that would be worth more than a qualifying offer, which is you know pretty about at most 800000 for for most of these guys? And do you like Uyghur or Brown? Those are my two questions among these restricted free agents. Well, I'm going to say that they might also consider Sarala, uh, AJ, because if you look at what he's done in the AHL the last couple of seasons, he's totaled 85 points in 112 games. That's a pretty good scoring pace for him. And uh, if they could fit him into a third-line role, might be appropriate, and you'd get him for about a million bucks. I agree with you. Walmart is the, is the guy who stands at the head of the class, the RFA class here, in terms of what they need to do to get a, a player resign but he is coming off an entry level of 675 i don't think he's done enough to get into the two or three million dollars a year so again finding a way to fit him in uh, at a reasonable salary should be re- should be doable he's coming off a year swip- split between two teams where he had 25 points in 67 games fitting into that third line profile that i just described for sarala so i think they make a case for both those guys toninato seems to be the expendable piece for me the guy scored a little bit in the minor leagues uh, early on in his career. He's coming into his age 27 year, which is older than the other two fellows that I mentioned. So make makes him a distant third in that pecking order. On the blue line, you did mention the case for Mackenzie Weger. That's the guy that they got to look at locking up. Uh, he's done enough, and he will be a guy who is no worse than a third-pairing defenseman here and should be rewarded somewhere in the neighborhood of $2 million a year, in my estimation. So we'll take uh, a look at the unrestricted free agent group here, and, and I'll, I'll save the best for last year. Um, but just to run through the whole group, we've got Mike Hoffman, Evgeny Dadnov, Eric Halla, Brian Boyle, and Mark Pissick. Uh, in terms of Boyle, I think if he's willing to come back on another veteran you know, kind of minimum deal like he did this last year, um, his experience makes sense to have, have with this group. You know, you look at this forward complement that they have right now, um, He's, you know, the oldest, the next oldest players right now are 31 in, in Dadnov and uh, Colton Skeever. So having a veteran around this team is, is certainly not a, a bad thing here. And so uh, I wouldn't break the bank to keep him around if he starts wanting to command more salary than I, I say let him walk. But um, as, as a veteran minimum deal, I, I think it's certainly worth keeping him around. 
you know, Pissick's a, a, a big question mark here. You know, he reached the 20 point mark this year for the first time in his career, but he spent a good chunk of the season lined up at forward. Um, that flexibility uh, is certainly nice. Um, but it doesn't seem worth him making, you know, close to $3 million uh, to, to make it work. So I, I just don't know that the flexibility is really worth that. Um, because, again, most of his points came while they had him lined up and playing forward this season. Uh, he wasn't exactly scoring from, from the blue line here. I also think they need to let Eric Halla go, given the, the injury concerns. He's played in 63 games over the last two years. Um, you know, I, there's certainly, um, you know, some, some questions about, you know, would they be a little thin at center? I think that's a fair argument to make. Um, but the injury woes are are just too much. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, now I'll get to the big shooting. Look with $20 million in available cap space, I don't foresee a situation in which you can't prioritize keeping both Hoffman and Dadnoff here. And I certainly would. Uh, at 30 years of age, Hoffman is not going to see a lot of clubs offering him seven-year deals, and so I don't think the Panthers will have to either. But a five-year, I said about 32, uh, $32.5 million. That's slightly above uh, Matt Zuccarello's contract, which he signed in 2019, and I think Hoffman actually is a better goal scorer between the two. Uh, in the case of Dadnoff, I think Hoffman's deal will kind of be the bigger one. Dadnoff will come in slightly below that. Um, and again, kind of to give you a comparable contract, uh, Jakob Silverberg's deal currently right now pays $5.25 million a year. Uh, and I think Dadnoff should come in right about that as well. I'm willing to give him, I know he's you know 31, like I said, but NHL players are going longer and longer these days. So I think I'm still willing to give him a five-year deal that's going to make him happy to have term on there and might save you a little bit of cash. Uh, so five-year, $27.5 million contract uh, for him. So, Paul, kind of two questions here. Um, Paula, Boyle, Pissick, do you keep those guys around? Do you let them walk? And what do you think uh, Hoffman and Dadnoff uh, might command here from the Panthers in terms of, of money? Well, let's start there, AJ. Those two guys combined for $9.18 million under the cap last year. Interestingly, Dadanoff, the first-line winger uh, on the right side, getting the lesser of the two. But I think going forward, you might see that flip-flop. He, he could be do a substantial raise because he's been such a great fit with Huberdeau and Barkov on that top unit. So he might leapfrog Hoffman, but that would, in my estimation, mean that Hopkin, Hoffman only gets a marginal increase relative to the bigger bump that I see for Dadanoff. And really, there were noises but from Hoffman's camp last year, AJ, that he was a little bit disillusioned at times with the way he was being used in a second-line role, maybe thinking that he should get a first-line role given the fact that he's been such a solid scorer in the NHL despite not having that, that prime-time opportunity. So I could see him being the more difficult uh, negotiation of the two. Uh, Dadanoff certainly uh, should be a little smoother because ju- he's been such a great fit on that top unit. Eric Halla, to me, when healthy, a very useful piece. But you mentioned the guys had the injury issues, and, and you wonder if that downward traje- trajectory we've seen in the last two years continues. If if he's going to get a new contract, it's it can't be for much more than 2.7. And maybe the team pivots off that just because of the injury concerns. So it's how, how he rebounds from the injury status that, that uh, has dogged him over the last two seasons in this offseason. Uh, 
this is an important uh, playoff for him, I think. If he can show well here and be healthy, uh, which is totally up in the air, that might be the best case scenario for him to audition for that next contract, uh, if you will. Mark Pissick, you said, uh, did play a key role for this team as a converted defenseman who played forward. But it's a useful piece there, but I just think that there's there's too many cheaper options that make sense here uh, that he has to fend off in terms of uh, retaining that role. I, I don't see it happening for him. Certainly, uh, at that high rent of $2.7 million, that's not happening, in my opinion. So uh, those are the thoughts there. Brian Boyle, I have a soft spot for players like this, AJ. We're starting to see it with regularity around the league where we've already covered a few teams where they have this guy at forward uh, in his mid to late 30s. A useful guy, very good hockey IQ, and one of the more intelligent players that that I've seen interviewed and talks the game, and I think he, he'd be a future coach in this league. Uh, I, I could for, project that, but on the ice, still has the smarts and the skills, and uh, really developed a pretty nice offensive game in the last few years to complement the the sound defensive uh, responsibilities that he's shown routinely throughout a, a pretty distinguished career. I'll, I'll have to say. Well, that'll lead us into the minor league guys, and we're only looking at two in terms of uh, NHL action this season. Uh, Henrik Borgstrom and Samuel Maltenbeau. Uh Look, in, in terms of Borgstrom, he played 50 games for Florida in 2018-19, but he only cracked the lineup four times this past year. Um, I think he's far from a lock for the 23-man roster, so I wouldn't expect him to get anything above his qualifying offer, which will come in at about uh, just under 875000 And the emergence of Chris Jeter, I think, has not only cost Montembeau his spot on the roster this season, but I think it's going to cost him in terms of dollar signs as well. I don't think the organization will be worried about signing Montembeau as their number two guy uh, because of, you know, they'll have Dreger under contract. If they want to go above the qualifying offer, I think a two-year two-way deal worth about 850000 for Mountain Bow makes sense, um, but I can't imagine he's going to secure a one-way contract from them um, and or a significant raise. It just it was a rough season for him uh, when he had to fill in, and, and Dreger really took the reins there. So, uh, Paul, any thoughts on the, the minor league guys here? Yeah, I, t- I think you touched on the guys that will compete for a job. I'll make a case for Mason Marchman being another one, AJ, uh, knowing a little bit about him from the Toronto system. He uh, has a great size. He, he improved his skating last season and could be a player to watch. Uh, uh, coming off an our, our entry-level deal of 767000 due a marginal increase. He's coming into his age 26 season. And uh, if he's given a look-see, I could see him coming back at about eight fifty to 900000 a year. And uh, off what I've seen of this kid, he does have uh, some, some uh, hockey sense in him and... Uh, Really, a, he has family pedigree. Brian Marchman is, uh, I think, his father uh, was playing in the NHL for a long time as a rugged defenseman who uh, was seen to be hated by uh, all opponents. And Mason Marchman has a bit of that fire in him too. So uh, I would hate to see them pivot away from him. It might be a missed opportunity that uh, that uh, he should she'd get at some point to really see if he could fit in. Well, I just had to look it up, Paul, because you mentioned it. Uh, Brian Marchman played uh, in uh, almost in 926 NHL games for a variety of franchises, 
and racked up 2,307 penalty minutes along the way. So, yeah, you talk about uh, kind of a, <laughs> an enforcer type, uh, you know, tough physical player. You absolutely have it there. Um, as far as final thoughts go, look, you know, the this team, whatever they do in terms of who they re-sign, who they let walk, they're going to be dependent on Sergei Bobrovsky figuring out what the heck is going on there because he had a bad season by his standards uh, this past year, and he's making $10 million against the cap. So he needs to figure that out. Otherwise, this team's not going anywhere anytime soon. Paul, the one uh, thought I will give you, I, I think I know where you land, but Kyle actually suggested uh, the team would be better off keeping $6 million in cap space to work with and letting Evgeny Dadnoff walk. One of the reasons he mentioned that is that Alexander Barkov will be need, need to sign the year after that. So you're looking uh, at 21-22, Barkov, uh, his contract will come up and he will need uh, no doubt to get paid. So what do, what do you think about that, Paul? Do you, do you sign Dadnoff or do you stash that cap space away uh, in preparation for, for a guy like Barkov needing to get signed? I think they've got to find a way to keep Dadanoff. He's just been such a nice fit on that line, AJ. And they can punt the situation of Barkov down the road a year and see what they can do to fit in that circumstance. They have... Uh, they have uh, committed a lot of money to a lot of players here. but And that's where the salary cap becomes a bit of a problem down the road. There's going to be issues for teams if the salary cap doesn't rise as much as it was expected. Like before all this COVID stuff went down, there was supposed to be 4 or $5 million bump. And uh, if that happens a year or two down the road, maybe that gives them the flexibility to, to sign a big guy like that, and, uh, that Barkov. And you mentioned earlier about the, the fact that maybe each team will get a bit of a mulligan in terms of the salary cap issue as well. So uh, I, I would hate to see them pivot away from a guy who has really earned his stripes as a first-line winger in Dadanoff, but I could see why, where Kyle is coming from because Barkov is effectively a signature player in, in the Florida mix, and they've got to make sure that they get, get him done without any acrimony because he's so important to the, the long-term future of the club. So it's just indicative of some of the decisions that are there for all the teams in the NHL if uh, the impact of this COVID virus impacts the salary cap in any way going forward. So a fair point, but uh, I, I do think that that enough gets the signing. Well, we haven't talked about next week, so or this week, rather. I forget we're always a week behind. So here's what our listeners can look forward to this week. Um, Tuesday, we're going to, today, uh, we're going to drop the Montreal Cap uh, Compliance Series, taking a look at Paul's favorite club, the Habs. Um, and then we'll, uh, we'll head over to Minnesota on Thursday, uh, and then we'll round it out with Columbus this week. Surprisingly, in our poll, uh, the Los Angeles Kings did not get a lot of love in that poll. Hmm. Uh, so uh, we'll see where it goes from there. But, yeah, that's kind of the forecast this week. Montreal, Minnesota, and Columbus. Can't wait for the Habs breakdown. I'll have a lot to say about that. And I'm sure Jesperi Kotkaniemi's name is going to come up in that discussion. That's going to only rankle <laughs> some of our listeners, including our pal uh, Daniel Negrano. So <laughs> can't wait to get to that one and look forward to it. Maybe we should get Dan on, on the show for that one. That could be a lot of fun. <laughs> in any case, uh, we'll turn our attention. We've done the draft in terms of the early 2010 uh, decade. And we're coming. To, we were coming to a point where 
we haven't seen hadn't seen much of some of the recent players in the more recent drafts enough to populate the 20 pick uh, look in in terms of the rearview mirror so we're going to pivot instead and go the other way looking back to 2009 since we started with 2010 went the other way so 2009 is a, a draft that featured the likes of John Tavares, Matt Duchesne, Ryan O'Reilly, Evander Kane, some fixtures around the NHL at the at the top of the board, really there. And uh, AJ, it's my turn to tur- to go first, and uh, I'm going to lock up the guy who was the number one pick in that draft, and that John Tavares out of London Knights. What he's done in the NHL has been Mr. Consistency, uh, averaging just a shade under a point per game, and uh, far and away the top point getter from this draft class. So I'm getting John Tavares on my team. Yeah, and and here's really, I mean, it's it's pretty open and shut case for for Tavares here. You know, no other player uh, in this draft class has even hit the 600 point mark, much less the 700 like like Tavares has, or 300 goals. Nobody else is there. Um, so really, after that is where it gets a little tricky. You know, I, I could go Duchesne or O'Reilly. Um, but I think ultimately I'm going to lock up my, my blue liner here and go with Victor Hedman, uh, 105 goals, uh, 368 assists rather, and selected second overall by Tampa. And I think that's still, um, you know, the, the right choice here. So I'm going to go uh, with uh, Victor Hedman. I like that pick, AJ. Uh, the guy is at the head of the defense class, just as Tavares was at the head of the offensive uh, scorers. And it's interesting that they went num- number one and number two in the draft. I don't think there's been too many drafts where uh, we got the order right so far. I wonder when it will deviate substantially. I'm going to say uh, right away because Matt Duchesne was the number three pick in the draft. And while he is the second highest scoring player uh, uh, on this uh, list, I'm going to go with a guy behind him in terms of Ryan O'Reilly. I like the leadership of this guy, the fact that he's a center, uh, solidifies the middle of the ice for me. I got a great one-two punch there. Happy to get uh, O'Reilly with that uh, second pick. He was drafted 33rd overall by Colorado, incidentally, and uh, goes number three to me in the redraft. Yeah, and I, I think that kind of uh, solidifies my pick here. You know, the you've got the the top two centers here for uh, for that have gone. Uh, so I'll take a, the third, and that is Matt Duchesne, uh, 245 goals, the most goals of anybody else behind Tavares here. Uh, so Matt Duchesne for me. Okay, um, you left Evander Kane for me. This is we've taken out of the first five players drafted that year four of them have gone uh, in the first five picks i'm going to take evander kane to start looking at populating my wing position and uh, he's going to be a guy i think we haven't seen the best out of him yet he's toiled in 713 games as a pro but i think finding his niche in in san jose he's uh, due for a nice run there over the next few years and uh, he'll be a part of my roster along the way in this draft well, I'm going to kind of buck the, the trend that we've had going here, and I'm, I'm going to jump down all the way uh, to the 19th overall pick, and that's Chris Kreider. A few less games played than everybody else on here, but still over the 150-goal mark, over the 300-point mark, um, and I think has you know such a strong upward trajectory still for the rest of his career. So I will take Chris Kreider. Yeah, I like that pick. A bit of a reach uh, from the stats point of view, but really what he's done as a pro, uh, he he is uh, 
elevated his game in the last couple of years and so happy to see you grab him early on in the draft here uh, well situated fifth or sixth overall pick I am going to look at the defense position and pick the second highest scoring defenseman in terms of scoring points a guy who doesn't get as much ink as some of the other uh, top scoring defensemen in the league ranked second in this draft class I'm talking about Oliver Ekman Larson who is a guy that plays upwards of 20-25 minutes a game for for Phoenix on a uh, Arizona on a bad night, I'll say he can go even up to 30 minutes a game sometimes. So a real workhorse to solidify my power play quarterback position as well as a number one defenseman. Well, I'm, I'll go uh, back to the wing here, and um, you know maybe perhaps the the value pick of this draft. Uh, I'd have to double check where everybody went, but. Uh, fifth round, 130th overall to Ottawa. Mike Hoffman uh, has really turned into an electric scorer uh, and I think would be uh, quite the piece to play along Duchesne and Kreider here on my top line. Yeah, I like that pick for sure. And uh, I was looking at that, but I'm going to go instead with uh, the Maple Leafs pick. Nazem Kadri, seventh overall in the draft for the London Knights. And uh, he couldn't find his way past uh, the top two center positions in Toronto because they were populated by the likes of Tavares and and Matthews. So finding uh, a chance to revive his offensive side of his game in Colorado, and he's done it in spades there. And uh, I think it's a good situation for him behind McKinnon, locked into a number two role, and uh, I think he's looking good there. All right, well, I'm going to go uh, with uh, a second defender here and, and kind of round out my, my decor. Uh, Tyson Berry went third uh, third round, 64th overall to Colorado. Uh, he's, you know, the third leading scorer on this blue line. And um, I, I, like, I like Nick Letty in terms of an overall team, um, but I just think Tyson Berry is, you know, offers a better upside uh, and really, there's a gap, in my opinion, from Barry down to Letty or uh, Ryan Ellis. Uh, I'm I'm going to take Ellis. I like I like the fact that I get another minute eater and a workhorse on the blue line. His trouble has been staying healthy, but when healthy, he's been a pretty good scorer on that blue line. The, the defense factory in Nashville produced another gem in, in Ellis, so I'm pretty happy to get him with my pick here, and I've got my top pairing on the blue line. Well, I'll take a look, uh, you know, just at the at the scores list here, and and we've left uh, Braden Shen here to to kind of wallow, waiting for having an Aaron Rodgers moment, waiting in the green room here. But uh, <laughs> you know, he comes in uh, 179 goals, so just behind Nazem Kadri, uh, went fifth overall to to Los Angeles in in that draft. So Braden Shen is the anchor for my my second line here. We've shied away from the goalies. I'm going to change that, AJ. With my seventh-round pick, I'm going to the goalie list. And uh, the options here, there's four uh, guys that have played significant time in the NHL uh, holding down first-line, first-string uh, goalie status on three of the situations. Nelson, sure to get that in Ottawa. But I'm going to take Darcy Kemper. For me, he's uh, been the best goalie in this class to date. That's subject to change, of course, if uh, Leonard gets a chance to to continue what he did in on the island at some point if Mark andre Fleury ever steps aside in Vegas he should get a chance behind a very good team there but I'm taking Darcy Kemper uh, out of the Red Deer Devils he was picked in the sixth round 161st overall has appeared in 250 15 games as a pro which is second among active goalies from this draft class but I think statistically he's the number one guy to date 
Well, I'm going to just keep grabbing the goal scorers here, and I'll go to uh, Thomas Tatar, uh, 60th overall by Detroit, 166 goals in 575 games. Uh, just keep plugging away at those those elite snipers here on this team. Well, uh, I'm going to make the aforementioned uh, Daniel Negreanu happy with my next pick, I think. I'm going to look at the Dallas Stars picking third round, 69th overall, Riley Smith. The guy's been such a key part of the early success of the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, holding down uh, a top six role there and being a really steady scorer, 354 points in 577 games. But he's closing the gap uh, in terms of not quite a point per game player, but he's he's scoring uh, at a better pace than that ratio might suggest uh, overall in recent years. So pretty pretty good grab of uh, a guy that will help me with my second line uh, offensively from this draft. Well, I'm gonna uh, go with uh, another guy for candidate of of you know kind of sleeper picks of this draft uh, to round out my my second line here, and that's Anders Lee, sixth round. 152nd overall uh, not quite to that 500 game mark but already at 172 goals and 301 points overall and uh, a great uh, addition to my my goal scorer group here I like that pick I was going to pick him next if you didn't grab him AJ but uh, you have left me one other offensive piece that I like from this draft very much and that's Jakob Silverberg a guy who fits in uh, easily into the top six in his role in Anaheim currently and uh, he was drafted by Ottawa second round 39th overall he has 291 points in 558 games but I think again scoring above that uh, point every two game pace on his career in recent times and I think the best is yet to come for him in the next couple of seasons in Anaheim well I'm just gonna I'm gonna save my goalie for last so before I get there uh, I'm gonna just keep with the trend of the undervalued guys and, uh, you know, and a couple other of these, I've added a third defenseman. This time I'm going to add uh, a seventh forward here and going to take seventh round selection, 182 overall, Eric Halla, who's played in 405 games, 175 points. And I think, you know, looking at the centers remaining in this group, I think he is the top center left uh, in this draft class. And I'm going to go back to the blue line and I'm going to pick another guy from the Nashville factory there and that's Matthias Eckholm. He has one of the better team friendly contracts for what he contributes to uh, a blue line around around the entire NHL. A uh, guy that's underrated and in the shadows of the likes of of Ellis on this on their particular roster but boy he's he's still there with 196 points uh, next in in line in terms of the top defenseman scorers and uh, I don't mind putting putting him in there and as my number 3 uh, blue liner. Well, for the last pick here, you know, I, I've been kind of back and forth on who to take between uh, Anders Nilsson and, and Robin Leonard. And I think ultimately uh, I am going to go with Robin Leonard. Look, this is a guy that started for some teams that have been pretty bad. Um, you know, started with Ottawa. Um, they they had some good years, I think, early on in his career. But, um, you know, once he kind of took more full time role, um, they haven't really been very good. Then he went to Buffalo, another team that wasn't very good. And it's been the last couple of years. He had a really good year with the Islanders, solid numbers in Chicago. Um, technically speaking, undefeated uh, in, in Vegas, although he's only played in, uh, in three games for them. But uh, I think he's starting to figure things out in terms of 
you know, his, he's been very vocal about his mental health. And I think if he continues to work on that and improve on that, um, and face the challenges there, uh, I think he can really become the best net, uh, net miner from this group. Well, you, you left behind uh, Anders Nilsson. You might make a case for him or Miko Koskinen. That rounds up the goalie picks. And AJ, there were a few other defensemen that we could have considered and a few other forwards. If you had one more choice, where would you have gone? I'll tell you what I would have done is I would have picked the guy that the Sabres picked 13th overall, that's Zach Cassian. You know I like the policeman who can, who can put the puck <laughs> in the net and, and play a top six role occasionally. He's, he's basically become Connor McDavid's caddy, and that's not a, not a bad uh, profile to have in the NHL these days. But I wonder if you agree with that pick or you look elsewhere among the ra- best of the rest to make a wild card pick here, if, let's say. Yeah, I mean, I, for for the makeup of my team, I, I think our teams are, are made up a little bit different. I probably would have added a, another uh, blue liner here in in that situation, and so um, you know, Letty probably would have been been the choice. Sammy Vatnin certainly could have made an argument there as well. All right, partner. Well, I'm looking forward as I uh, with bated breath about the Montreal Canadiens piece that's coming out later today and can't wait for that. Uh, we're looking also forward to the State of the Union with our own uh, company at uh, Rotowire. We're supposed to have a, a conference call tomorrow that really should uh, enlighten us in terms of the future path of, of uh, our, our company in these troubled times. And uh, I think there are better days ahead for all of us and, and uh, can't wait for them to come to pass. I think there's been a bit of a relaxing, the whole social distancing thing locally here in Toronto. Uh, I'm starting to see people more in restaurants and that sort of thing. So uh, return to normalcy, I think, is just around the corner. But please, please do take the precautions that are prescribed. Uh, that's my suggestion, uh, just as a public service announcement to, to our listeners as well, that uh, we can't take our foot off the gas in terms of the, the, the enemy that is this terrible virus that's kind of shut down the world for a long period of time, AJ. And uh, I don't know if you have any final thoughts, but uh, that's where I want to stop. No, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, you know, things have been, uh, been opening up here as well a little bit in, in Wisconsin and um, so that's good to see. It's nice to get out and go some places. You know, the weather here in Wisconsin is not always the greatest, um, but it's been nice the last couple of days. So really the thing I've been most looking forward to, and I think we're going to do it later today, is going somewhere, sitting outside and having a beer, if I got to be perfectly <laughs> honest. So um, I think that's in our plan today. Um, you know, we're going to maybe try and do that. But again, you know, have to be mindful of the, the social distancing and everything. And, um, you know, hopefully other people around us are, are being equally mindful as well. Very good. Well, that wraps up this episode of PuckCast with Statsman and AJ Friends. Our next episode, a week from today, next Tuesday. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJSholes24. As always, we invite you to listen into PuckCast to get our tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. 